Good morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 8.37 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. It is, well, smack dab in the middle of February, February the 15th, 2022. And this is episode 672 of Bitcoin. And later on today, I'm going to be recording a uh, podcast interview with uh, Jonathan Leisure, I think is how you pronounce his name. He's the... um, well, he's the guy behind Nostagram.co, so he's one of the Nostagram or he's one of the Noster developers, and so we're gonna I'm gonna be asking him all kinds of questions about how Noster works, what is it, you know, what does it mean, what is it like to develop on it in a web environment because Nostagram.co is a web client, not a mobile client. Uh, Domus and Amethyst are the two uh, what most widely used mobile clients that I know of. I don't even know if there's any other mobile clients for Noster, but uh, Amethyst is for Android, Domus is for iOS, uh, so you can also use it on iPads and uh, stuff like that. But for the website, there is a lot of clients. One of my first, you know, forays into uh, the Nostraverse was, you know, Astral.Ninja, which I still really like. You know, and Snort.Social and Iris and a whole bunch of other ones, and then... And then I found Nostagram.co and just, I absolutely fell in love with it. So reached out to uh, Jonathan Leisure uh, and I will get a correct pronunciation of his name when I talk to him later today. We're recording that at 12, we begin at 12 p.m. my time, which is Pacific Standard Time. And hopefully I will have that out for you guys uh, tomorrow, unless I just get uh, really cheeky about it and release it as my first evening release tonight. Not sure what what's how I'm going to do that, but I'm really excited to talk to somebody because there's a lot of questions about Noster that I don't really think have been answered. Um, you know, well, certainly not answered to my my satisfaction. Let's just let's just say that. <laughs> I want to know if relays talk to each other, for instance. And if so, under what circumstances, you know, the, these kinds of, these kinds of, oh, and, and specifically, I'm going to ask the question, why, 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 when you log into another client with your pub key, does sometimes it cause you to lose all of your followers, <laughs> not your followers, but the people that you follow. This, this is a well-known issue. I think it has something to do with relays. Hopefully, an actual dyed-in-the-wool developer uh, like Jonathan will be able to help me out and understand it. But we're gonna we're gonna get into the news for this particular episode of a Bitcoin and El Salvador to open a Bitcoin embassy in Texas, no less. Haha, <laughs> BTC Casey, Bitcoin Magazine. After opening its first Bitcoin embassy in Lugano, Switzerland, El Salvador is opening a second one 
in Texas. Good choice, dude. According to a tweet from El Salvador's ambassador to the United States, Melina Mayorga, I think is how you pronounce it, a meeting took place between her, other representatives of El Salvador, and the deputy secretary of the government of Texas, Joe Esparza. Quote, we discussed the opening of a second Bitcoin embassy and the expansion of commercial and economic exchange projects, Mayorga said, also noting that in 2022, El Salvador and the state of Texas had a commercial exchange of $1.24 billion. I had no idea that we, that Texas, my, my home state, which I no longer live in, so I'm still going to call it we. I had no idea that we had that kind of relationship with El Salvador, and I think that that's going to be good for Texas. Actually, it's going to be better for Texas than it is El Salvador, I think. Anyway, much of the Texas government has been publicly pro-Bitcoin as of late. And this is one step further in its involvement in the industry. El Salvador became the first sovereign country in the world to make Bitcoin legal tender, as we all know, making history while simultaneously challenging the fiat status quo. And if I myself might add, pissing the World Economic Forum and the International Monetary Fund straight off, (laughs) which I love seeing. I hope you do too. Since then... The country has made moves to create the first Bitcoin-backed sovereign debt bonds, as well as hosting a successful conference and is home to many projects entirely powered by Bitcoin. Just as the establishment of its Switzerland embassy was a step forward for El Salvador, this meeting between the country's ambassador and representatives of the government of Texas is another milestone in its adoption of Bitcoin. And honestly, I love that BTC Casey terms it the government of Texas. Almost like BTC Casey uh, is separating Texas out from the rest of the United States. That's probably not what BTC Casey actually means. But when I read these words, I just look at Texas saying sayonara to the United States. And honestly, and I've said it before, this isn't me hating on the United States. I know it sounds like I am. I'm not. But we need to reconstitute this union. And the only way to do that is to tear away every shred of power from the United States federal government. Let's be very clear. I don't have a problem with the United States of America. I love it. I have a problem with the federal government of the United States, specifically what it's become. Not what it used to be. You know, not what it was planned to be. None of that. I mean, the, the, the creation of the federal government in the document that is the Constitution of the United States would really work. It's a beautiful idea. Let the 50 states decide most of the shit for themselves. If Oklahoma's doing something stupid and you don't want to be there because you really disagree with the way that the Oklahoma state government is doing things, then if you can, you can move, right? And I, in today, if you, we look at the situation today, I know, I get it. The federal government, it's their fault that you don't have the money to be able to pick up stakes and move. Everybody is, the federal government basically forced employers to give the only high quality health insurance out there. I don't, I'm not even saying that, I mean, they probably shouldn't have forced employers to do that. Employers should have been able to say, hey, 
if we make our, you know, if we have our own health insurance and we're paying our people, we might actually get better quality people. That should have been up to the companies. But regardless, what's actually happened is that since companies got pressured to provide health insurance to their employees, now you can't get you can't get good health insurance unless you're working for, you know, a federal state, federal or state institution, a really good paying job at a, you know, at a very large company. It's really hard to get health insurance, right? And I, it, we could go down the rabbit hole of how health insurance shouldn't even be a thing. If you're saying that to me, dude, I agree. It's real. I mean, the whole notion, no matter who's offering it or who forced who to offer what, the concept of health insurance is not healthcare. Healthcare is completely different than health insurance, right? I mean, the, the quality of the car that I drive does not depend on my auto insurance. If I get a flat tire, my auto insurance doesn't have anything to do with that. Let's see where I'm going. Health insurance is not healthcare. Please, please understand that. But be that as it may, what I'm getting to is that if we look at my statement of, well, if you just don't like Oklahoma because they're being idiots, you can just move to Texas or Louisiana or Arkansas or New Mexico or Colorado or something like that, right? Well, yeah, now it's hard. It didn't used to be that hard. I guarantee you that back in the day, it was not that hard to rip up stakes and move somewhere else. And that's sort of what I'm getting at here with the dissolution of the United States of America just so that we can reconstitute it without the bozos in the federal government. That's all I want. And is that easy? No, it's gonna, it would be a shit show. For sure, absolutely it'd be a shit show, but it, it is what it is. And we have, as I used to say, or usually say other fish to fry. From Bitcoin Magazine, Brandon Mintz has this one. Why you? should consider the switch to a non-custodial Bitcoin wallet. A digital wallet is essential to interacting with Bitcoin. In light of recent events within the cryptocurrency industry, it's time to ask yourself what, you're, what you are doing to protect your digital assets. Current landscape of cryptocurrency provides various options you can use to secure your Bitcoin, but one of the simplest ways to do so is by utilizing a non-custodial wallet. When using a non-custodial wallet, you have full control over your digital assets. So what's the difference between custodial wallets and non-custodial wallets? As you, as you look for a way to store your Bitcoin, you will come across two types of wallets, custodial and non-custodial. The most significant difference between these two wallets is that with a custodial wallet, you are giving control of your Bitcoin to a third party. Whereas with a non-custodial wallet, you are the one that's in control. So as the name suggests, a custodial wallet gives custody of the private key associated with a wallet to a third party. Using a custodial wallet is not unlike storing your cash deposits in a commercial bank in which the assets are your own, but you do not have exclusive control over them. This could create the opportunity for the custodian or other third parties to transact with your assets without your authorization. Many large crypto exchanges operate their business using custodial wallets. While you can buy, sell, and trade crypto, you are trusting a third party 
to safeguard your private key and therefore your crypto assets. <clears throat> In certain cases, the asset holding customers can be treated as a, well, an unsecured creditor. And because unsecured debt can be discharged during a bankruptcy, there are instances in which recovery never occurs and the assets are lost. Beyond that, due to the custodial nature of these types of wallets, crypto exchanges have the capability to freeze your wallet holdings and often have the discretion to do so per the terms and conditions agreed to by you, the wallet user. Why use a custodial wallet? With many of the custodial wallets, you do not have to store your own private keys. All that is required to transact is logging into the wallet with a username and password and then inputting the public key of the intended recipient. And if you happen to forget your password, a custodial Bitcoin wallet often allows you to reset it. What are the drawbacks of a custodial wallet? There are disadvantages to using a custodial wallet for your Bitcoin. Most custodial wallets require users to agree with their policies and procedures. These can include your assets being frozen or delayed if, for example, withdrawals are paused by the exchange on which you store your Bitcoin, which means your Bitcoin is not as liquid as you might want it to be. Beyond that, custodial wallets may have a maximum on the value of transactions you may be able to affect in a given period of time. Most custodial Bitcoin wallets are provided by a centralized entity, which means you have to submit to the entity's know your customer requirements, including providing personal information to confirm your identity, such as a copy of your driver's license or your social security number. Now, non-custodial wallets, let's get into the meat of it. <clears throat> By comparison, a non-custodial wallet allows you to keep and manage the private key associated with your wallet. That means you have complete control over and access to all assets held inside your non-custodial wallet. Private keys are used to validate the ownership of your assets when a transaction is proposed on the blockchain. Your private key is associated with your public wallet address and is safeguarded by a passphrase only given to you that consists of 12 or 24 random words. The trade-off is that with a non-custodial wallet, you become responsible for managing and monitoring your wallet holdings and related transactions. The only individual or entity that can protect your assets is you, yourself. A centralized institution or authority cannot electronically censor or confiscate your assets. I might add, they also cannot help you recover your shit if you screw this all up. Now, again, this is still me. It needs to be up to you as to what's worth it. Personally, I feel better with a non-custodial wallet. In fact, I use, you know, one of my, well, actually I use a couple of wallets. One of them is a cold card. I used to use, you know, used to use a ledger, right? And, and, for, and I've got three of them. So, you know, I could use, you know, I can use these units as, you know, extra signatures of, you know, for multi-sig, you know, I can do all kinds of neat shit, right? But it's all non-custodial. Nobody but me is responsible for this stuff. And that can cause, eh, that can cause some serious trepidation. And I understand that. Ultimately, the decision is yours. I highly recommend doing the work and going non-custodial. You do not want your crap frozen because you made a transaction that somehow or another was included in another transaction that was not OFAC compliant. 
right, this shit is going to happen if it's not already happening. So let's continue. <clears throat> Although not without risks, non-custodial wallets give users complete control over the digital assets, as I said. Those holding large amounts of Bitcoin might feel more comfortable being solely responsible for overseeing those digital assets. This level of autonomy and control can mitigate the potential impacts of data breaches subject to the diligence of and security measures implemented by the wallet user. With the added control also comes the added responsibility for the user to institute proper safety protocols to safeguard assets. Non-custodial wallets also make it easier to send and receive crypto and give you quicker access to your Bitcoin assets when you need it. Another benefit of a non-custodial wallet is that in the event of lost access to the wallet due to the loss or compromise of a private key, a user can utilize the passphrase associated with the wallet's private key to recover the wallet's holding, either by re-accessing the same wallet or creating a new wallet. Essentially, losing your private key does not mean you have lost permanent access to your Bitcoin. I'm going to push back real hard on that. Losing your private key should be considered a burn it all fucking down event and that you're automatically now you don't have any of your Bitcoin. It's a, it's a hard, that's what I'm saying. Non-custodial is a hard row to hoe. You don't do it just because I tell you to do it. You have to figure out why and what it's going to entail. How back up your private key, put it into steel. I don't know. I mean, there's all manner of ways that you can back up your private key. But understand that if your private key is compromised, the assumption is you lost all your Bitcoin. So the first thing you should do is find out if, if you believe that your private key has gotten wiped out or, or otherwise compromised, to get your seed phrase or a backup of your private key, go check the wallet. If it's still there, Spin up, another, spin up another private key and move the funds to the new private key. And make damn sure before you do that, that you've put in the private, you've got the private key from a wallet. You've wiped that wallet. You put in the private key again with no funds at risk to make sure that you can recover your wallet. Do it three times and then move the funds from the compromised private key if you're lucky enough to still have it, or the, the funds, I mean, to the new private key and back that thing up and and breathe a sigh of relief. Now, let's 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 go on. Another benefit of a non-custodial wallet is that in the event of a lost access to the wallet due to the oh sorry, we just did that. Sorry. Drawbacks, here are the drawbacks. There are a few drawbacks to non-custodial wallets. With a non-custodial wallet, you are the one responsible for your private key. You have sole control of your Bitcoin, which means greater responsibility on your part. It also means additional precautions should be taken to ensure your private key is kept in a safe and secure place. While non-custodial wallets can help reduce your chances of losing your assets to hackers, they do require more time and effort to set up. Managing Bitcoin and safeguarding passphrases may be too much work for users who simply want to store their Bitcoin without the hassle of maintaining security of their private keys. Indeed, if you're just playing around with Bitcoin for the first time and you're like, you just bought 50 bucks, don't worry about it. That's, yes, I'm going to get pushback for that, but I'm going to say, if it's 50 bucks, dude, you know, I've lost $50 bills before. I didn't die. I don't want to lose $5 million. 
Okay. See, there's there's a difference, and, and it's you, whatever your threshold is. <clears throat> that's what your threshold is decided by you, and your threshold that is decided by you should be what guides your thinking as to whether or not you want to pop a hundred, two hundred bucks for a cold card or something like that, and you know to protect a hundred dollars worth of Bitcoin. Personally, I don't see the value. But if you got $1,000 worth of Bitcoin, then 10% of that being invested in a hardware wallet, not a bad idea. To finish off, non-custodial wallets come in a variety of options. Hardware wallets, mobile wallets, and wallets that you can add as an extension to your web browser. You'll find mobile wallets on the Android or iOS app stores, and you can purchase hardware wallets online. At the time you create your wallet, it should be clear whether the private key is maintained by the provider or not. When you set up your wallet, did it ask you to write down a 12 or 24 word passphrase and keep it in a secure place? If so, your wallet is non-custodial. If this type of request was not made, then there is a good chance that you are using a custodial wallet. That is high quality information to keep in mind, ladies and gentlemen. Now, moving on. Korean e-commerce executive has been accused of accepting Luna for shilling Terra Labs. Cointelegraph, Ezra Reguera has it. The former CEO of Timon. Uh, oh, so let's just do this one. South Korean prosecutors have requested an arrest warrant for the former CEO of Timon, a Korean e-commerce platform, after taking billions of South Korean won in Terra Luna, now known as Terra Classic, for promoting Terra as a simple payment gateway. Media outlet Dong A. Ilbo reported that the head of the financial and securities joint investigation team at the Seoul Southern District Prosecutor's Office requested an arrest warrant for bribery charges against the former team on CEO described as Mr. A and a person described as Broker B who worked on lobbying in the financial sector in favor of Terra. Mr. A allegedly received LUNC tokens from Terra co-founder Shin Hang-shong also known as Daniel Shin, who asked him to extensively promote Terra as a simple means of payment. After this, Timon, or Timon, advertised LUNC and spread the message that the token is a safe asset. According to the investigators, the promotions increased the token's price by raising investors' expectations. Uh-oh. The former Timon CEO has allegedly made billions of won after selling said LUNC tokens received in exchange for the promotions. In addition, the report also highlighted that despite warnings from financial authorities, Shin has reportedly given money to other companies like Timon to produce or promote LUNC as a safe payment method. Now, on November the 14th, prosecutors in South Korea called on Shin to cooperate with the investigation of the Terra collapse. The authorities alleged that Shin had held LUNC tokens without investors' knowledge <clears throat> and earned more than $105 million in illegal sales before the company's collapse. The prosecutors in charge of the case have constantly been expanding their investigations and focusing on other people involved. On November the 30th, 2022, an arrest warrant for Shin, three terror investors and four engineers responsible for the project were also issued by South Korean authorities. Why am I talking about a shitcoin? <clears throat> because not only are all the platforms and exchanges and and if you have anything to do with upper management or even lower management or honestly even probably even if you're just an employee of a quote-unquote shitcoin company 
you are at serious risk right now. If you hold any of this crap, I don't even know if I'd advise you to sell it for Bitcoin. I, I mean, I, I want to say that, but I'm not even sure if, I mean, if you can, because it'll come back to haunt you when you get selected to go testify in front of a judge. I, it's, this is why Bitcoin maximalists have been warning people for years to stay away from this shit. Promoters are all in danger. If you're, if you're promoting Bitcoin, that's the only thing that I can think of that you won't get in trouble for because there's no CEO. There's no company. The CFTC has regarded it as a commodity and that it's not a security. If it even looks like a security and you're involved with it, then you're involved with an illegal security sale, whether you like it or not. If you promoted it on TikTok, if you promoted it on Instagram, if you're an influencer and said, go buy Luna because it's good, you are at high risk for having the rug pulled out from underneath your ass. If you're doing it now, if you're, if you're promoting any of this crap and you have any kind of influence whatsoever digitally, like through these social media platforms, stop and make a state. If you're going to stop, not only should you stop, you should make a clear statement that you now believe that this is not a good deal and that you're done and that you're announcing to the world that you have nothing else to do with this. I'd almost advise giving any money back. It's, this is a bad situation and it's going to get worse. This isn't getting any better by any stretch of the imagination. Now, I should have included this back to the uh, Texas and, and El Salvador story because the IMF wants El Salvador to reconsider its Bitcoin exposure. Ah, community reaction. I really hope that Bukele tells the IMF to go pound sand. Ezra Rivera is doing this one for Cointelegraph. Um, <clears throat> after a visit to El Salvador, the International Monetary Fund suggested the country reconsider its plans to increase exposure to Bitcoin. The community responded to the IMF suggestions with various messages calling out the organization. From dismissing the IMF suggestion as a simple case of spreading fear, uncertainty, and, or, and doubt, or FUD, to interpreting it as a strong, bullish signal for BTC, various crypto community members went to social media to express their sentiments on the IMF's efforts to discourage El Salvador's plans for Bitcoin. In a tweet, one community member argued that IMF's move is a way to scare other countries away from the example that El Salvador has set. The Twitter user also urged others to adopt BTC and help close central banks. Influenced by El Salvador's resilience, despite an unforgiving bear market, many other countries are becoming more Bitcoin friendly. For example, on November the 29th, 2022, the Chamber of deputies in Brazil approved a law that legalizes crypto as a payment method, not legalized tender, mind you. The Brazilian president signed the bill on December the 22nd, and it's expected to be enacted before the third quarter of 2023. However, unlike El Salvador, the law doesn't make BTC and other cryptocurrencies legal tender within the country, but will be recognized as a means of payment. Meanwhile, Another community member also commented on the issue, calling out some inconsistencies from the IMF. For example, according to Bitcoin Zoe, the IMF acknowledged that El Salvador's GDP is projected to grow above the historical average. Despite that, the organization recommended giving up Bitcoin over economic risks. Yet another Twitter user described the IMF's efforts as FUD. The community member believes that Bitcoin will march on regardless of the IMF's 
suggestion. On the other hand, a community member argued that this is a strong Bitcoin bull signal. According to the community member, the IMF's hold on the developing world is slipping away. God, it can't slip away fast enough for me. El Salvador has announced many plans for Bitcoin in the country. On November the 17th, Salvadoran President Nayib Bukele announced his plans to purchase one BTC daily. On January the 11th, the country established a legal framework for a Bitcoin-backed bond, dubbed the Volcano Bond, which will be used to pay down sovereign debt and fund the construction of Bitcoin City. Bitcoin has had many other developments as of late. On fe February the 14th, Bitcoin's average block size hit a new all-time high. The surge follows the creation of Bitcoin's, God forbid, non-fungible token protocol called Ordinals in January. But the Bitcoin ecosystem continues to grow in terms of capability and user base. It continues to strengthen its position amid an ever-inflating fiat economy. The IMF can go fuck themselves, honestly. And so can the World Economic Forum, the United Nations, the Warsaw Pact, the, uh, what else, uh, the NATO, all of them. They can all go get fucked, pound sand, whatever. I don't care. They just, they all need to go away. You know, I talked about the dissolution of all the member states of the United States of America to reconstitute that which was good about the Constitution of the United States. Yeah, same thing is pretty much needs to happen to the entire West. I mean, all of Europe, all of, you know, Canada, the United States, Mexico, you know, North America, the whole North American continent. Any, anybody that has anything to do with any of this centralized bullshit needs to get out and reconstitute in a more decentralized manner. I know we talk about decentralization a lot, but it is what it is. Now, <clears throat> uh, a word about Sam Bankman-Fried. SBF and FTX fraud was aided and abetted by Silvergate Bank, alleges a lawsuit, Felix Cointelegraph.com, Silvergate Bank, and its CEO, Alan Lane, have been accused of aiding and abetting a multi-billion dollar fraudulent scheme orchestrated orchestrated by Sam Bankman-Fried. I don't think he orchestrated shit. I, something else is going on here. And two of his entities, FTX and Alameda Research, in a newly proposed class action lawsuit. This proposed class action lawsuit was filed in the United States District Court for the Northern District of California, not New York. Okay, this one's from Northern District of California. And it was yesterday, February the 14th, by lawyers representing a San Francisco-based FTX user who was frozen out of around $20,000 or U.S. dollars in crypto when the exchange collapsed last year. Uh, plaintiff Soham Bhatia alleges that Silvergate Bank, its parent company Silvergate Capital Corporation, and CEO Alan Lane were aware of the use of FTX customer funds by Alameda Research and has accused them of concealing the true nature of FTX from its customers. At all relevant times, this is a quote, Silvergate, Bankman Fried, and Lane were each co-conspirators of the other, according to the lawsuit, adding that Silvergate is now the most shorted stock. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I, I, they, put a, they put a tweet by Yoda Research. We'll go ahead and read it. Uh, Silvergate is now the most shorted stock, 73% afloat. Yep, the bank, who according to the class action lawsuit, directly aided and abetted FTX's fraud. The lawsuit alleges 
that Silvergate and Lane aided, abetted, encouraged, and substantially assisted, ooh, shit, Bankman Fried, in jointly perpetrating a fraudulent scheme upon plaintiff and the class, quote, by aiding, abetting, encouraging, and substantially assisting the wrongful acts, omissions, and other misconduct conduct alleged above, defendants acted with an awareness of their wrongdoing and realized that their conduct would substantially aid the accomplishment of their illegal design. End quote. That's a very clear statement. <clears throat> the suit seeks a combination of damages, restitution, and disgorgement of profits with the amount to be determined in trial. However, the lawsuit is yet to be certified by the district court, which is a necessary step before it can proceed as a class action. The latest proposed lawsuit is just another class action complaint against Silvergate over the past two months. And they talk about the other one, which I've already covered, so we don't have to do it here. Now we can run the numbers. CNBC, futures and commodities, and my oh my, is everything red. West Texas Intermediate starts us off 1.83% to the downside, but still holding at $77.61. Brent North Sea down a point and a half to $84.33. Natural gas down a mere 1.29%. So it's actually not doing its swing, you know, it's swinging swinging its big dick around. Uh, $2.53 for a 1,000 cubic feet of that. Gasoline down a point and a half to $2.45 a gallon. Metals, they're all down. Uh, gold is down a point. Silver is down a little over a point. Platinum is down damn near two points. Uh, copper is down 1.5%. And palladium is down just over one full percent. Agricultural stuff is all down except for chocolate, which is up two and a half points. Biggest loser today is going to be coffee, 3.79% to the downside, followed by uh, cotton, 296 to the downside, and then uh, followed hotly on the heels, 1.79% to the downside is wheat. Now let's see what indices are doing. Well, here we're mixed. Dow is down a quarter of a point. S&P is down, I don't know, 0.17%. NASDAQ is up a tenth of a point, and the S&P mini is up also a tenth of a point. What's real money doing? $22,803.29, and that is after 357,000 BTC been sent around the horn in the last 24 hours. We got an average transaction value of 1.2 BTC, a median transaction value of 0.014 BTC, or about 311 bucks. Block times are very low, uh, nine minutes and 25 seconds. We've had 0.2 BTC taken in fees on a per block basis. And wow, 31 and a half BTC taken in fees over the last 24 hour period. That is a, that's a very local high, or that's a very high local high. When I mean local, I don't mean all time. I've seen, I've seen, you know, like daily fees <clears throat> cumulative hit like 150 BTC, but that was a long, long time ago. I haven't seen thir over 30 BTC in probably over, well over a year, probably well over a year, maybe even a year and a half. With a 3% slide in hash rate, we're still above 300 at 303.03 exahashes per second. Your shitcoin indicator 
is indicating to me that there is bounce back in the shitcoin markets and Dogecoin is 8.6 United States pennies. It shouldn't be worth one, as I always say. We have a $439.6 billion market capitalization. That's 3.61% of gold's entire market cap. And if you so choose, you may purchase 12.5 ounces of shiny metal rocks with your one Bitcoin, of which there are 19,291,546. And it looks like 5,374.5 of those are locked in the Lightning Network valued at $122.5 million, being run over 16,152 nodes, sporting 76,060 channels that we know about, that this is public channels, or payment channels, not private payment channels. I have no idea how many private channels are out there. A lot more, I guarantee it. Uh, it looks like that 68.4% uh, of all the Lightning Network is being routed over TORS. 11,411 nodes, or at least the ones that we know about. We've got 33,219 transactions waiting on 70 blocks to clear. And your minimum fee rate is two Satoshis per virtual byte. Uh, we have an estimated difficulty change of 7.1% to occur February 25th, 2023. There's your weather report. Welcome, welcome to the second part of the news that you can use. You will eat the bugs and you will own nothing and you will be happy. Senator Warren vows reintroduction of anti-money laundering bill that extends to DAOs and DeFi. Luke Hoogslut uh, tells us about her re-upped vehemence against crypto in this one, Cointelegraph. Uh, a bipartisan anti-money laundering bill that covers decentralized entities such as DeFi protocols and decentralized autonomous organizations, otherwise known as DAOs will soon be reintroduced to Congress according to United States Senator Pocahontas. Oh, I mean, uh, Elizabeth Pocahontas Warren. Warren, a vocal crypto critic, argued at the February 14th Senate Banking Committee's hearing entitled Crypto Crash, Why Financial System Safeguards Are Needed for Digital Assets, that the crypto community wants decentralized entities running on code to be exempt from AML requirements. Quote, in other words, they want a giant loophole for DeFi written into the law so that they can launder money whenever a drug lord or a terrorist pays them to do so, end quote. Going to pause right here to, make you, to hopefully get you to finally understand why Senator Warren needs to be strung up by her thumbs and have rotten tomatoes thrown at her for an entire day. She thinks you're just a criminal. Whether you've got a police record or not, in Senator Warren's eyes, and I guarantee you the rest of the Senate Banking Committee, the rest of the Senate, probably most of the House of Representatives, the President, and all of judiciary, judiciary hate you too. They think you suck. You, the private citizen, the, the American citizen, the, the citizenry of the United States of America are nothing more than vapid, idiotic tools just waiting at a chance to do the wrong thing for the wrong sorts of people. That's right. Karen down the street that cares about the color that you painted your front door on your house. She's just waiting for a drug lord to phone her up 
and say, Karen, can you do me a favor? I need you to use that DeFi shit of yours to launder all this goddamn cocaine money that I got. And Karen says, oh, thank God, the call of that I've been waiting for, the, the call of God so that I can fulfill my destiny as the Karen of the block and I can get my BMW SUV. Really? Really? Mm-hmm. Bullshit. I guarantee you that the, that the majority of the citizenry of the world, as weird as we can get, as, as mean as we look sometimes, has absolutely no interest whatsoever in doing anything illegal or at least... I don't want to help a drug lord. You know, even if cocaine was legal... Right? I really, I, I don't think it's healthy for people. If they want to do it, they're more than welcome to go get it themselves. But I sure as shit ain't going to help somebody, you know, put this shit on the street, even if it's legal. I mean, even if the FDA had control of the cocaine supply coming into the United States and its delivery method to the citizenry of the United States, and they called me up and they said, hey, would you do me a favor? Would you uh, use your lightning node to help us move money around? I'd say, no, absolutely fucking not. You guys should be all be thrown over thrown overboard in the middle of the north atlantic so this is this is why i don't like the federal government they think you suck i'm insulted every day by these people when they say well if we didn't have aml then everybody would ma ma uh, launder money no i have no intention of money laundering for anyone it's ridiculous. And due to this, Warren said that she would reintroduce the Digital Asset Anti-Money Laundering Act of 2022 that she first introduced on December the 15th of last year. It read twice. It was read twice before being referred to the Senate Banking Committee and has received no further traction. If legislated as it was, the seven-page bill would have prohibited financial institutions from using digital asset mixers such as Tornado Cash designed to obscure blockchain data. It also would have resulted in unhosted wallets, miners, and validators being required to write and implement AML policies. The senator noted current AML laws don't cover big parts of the crypto industry and claimed crypto exchange shapeshift took advantage of the lack of regulation when it restructured itself as a DeFi platform in July 2021, adding, quote, they said, we're making this shift, quote, to remove itself from regulatory activity. Translation, launder your money here. Do I need to pause again? Everybody, she's making the assertion that every single person that uses Shapeshift was going to use it to launder money. That's what she's actually saying. I am certain there's somebody out there saying, no, that's you're actually reading too much into it. I don't think I'm reading enough into it. I think she absolutely hates me, you, and everybody else that isn't on the Senate Banking Committee. How is it that just because, like, I have a hammer and I can go bash somebody's head in. Have I ever done that? No. Do I feel the need to? No. Would I defend myself with a hammer if I had to physically to prevent harm from myself occurring? Yes, I would do it then. But I have no intention of going to shapeshift to launder money. What? See, that... You don't 
you don't look at what what they I don't know you don't look at what they say they're going to do when they're running for you know re-election. You look at what they say, and what she just said about us is insulting. It's an insult to the citizenry of the United States, and honestly, to the humble citizenry of the world. Are there people that money la- that la- launder money? Yes, absolutely, there are, and I ain't one of them. So what does that mean? If I use Shapeshift, that I'm going to be laundering money? See, see where this goes. This is why this is my evidence that they don't like you. I'm not saying it because I woke up one day and I thought that that's what they said. No, I'm looking at what they're saying. And what they're saying is that they think you're a fucking criminal just waiting to be a criminal. You're already a criminal, whether whether you haven't committed a crime, whether you've not committed crime one or not. It doesn't matter to Elizabeth Warren. You are a potential criminal and you will become a criminal no matter what anybody does to try to prevent it. Warren claimed, quote, big time financial criminals love crypto and argued that crypto was the method of choice for international drug traffickers, North Korean hackers, and ransomware attackers, adding, quote, the crypto market took in $20 billion last year in illicit transaction, and that's only the part that we know about, and I guarantee you she's wrong about it. These figures are backed up by a January 12th report from blockchain analytic firm Chainalysis, which found that the total cryptocurrency value received by illicit addresses reached $20.1 billion throughout 2022. Oh, okay, well, maybe they do have some proof. According to the United Nations official speaking at a counterterrorism committee meeting in October of 2022, cash is still the preferred choice for financing terrorists, although they are beginning to turn to crypto more frequently. North Korean hackers operating with the Lazarus Group have also faced headwinds attempting to use crypto with the exchanges Binance and Huobi who froze accounts that they deemed to be linked to the hacker group. Well, I mean, good luck to you. You know, it's, they'll just go self-custody and then everybody who's self-custody and they're already, the, the language is already, has already been spoken. I'm not making this up. They don't want self-custody. They're, they're, it's the same language that, Eliz, that Elizabeth Focahontas Warren used here. Yeah, you're just going to use it for money laundering and, and terrorist financing and uh, child sexual trafficking and whatever else. And they're not going to be able to stop it. You know, if they were real smart, what they do is they would just investigate, 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 gather evidence and more evidence and more evidence through the exchanges. They keep their hands off. They let it go. And if they were really serious about catching these people, instead of closing off their one chance of being able to collect a fuck ton of evidence, to catch these people, find out where they live and go get them in covert operations, they would do so, wouldn't they? No, but see, they don't care. See, that's the thing. They're not closing this down because of them. They're closing this down because they don't want you, the average citizen, to have any control whatsoever over their future and their present. They just want to own you. You are their slave. If you don't believe me, I don't know what to do for you. Coindesk.com, Jesse Hamilton brings us this one. The SEC proposal could bar investment advisors from keeping assets at crypto firms. The United States Securities and Exchange Commission is set to propose a rule that would effectively require registered investment advisors 
to go outside the crypto industry for storing digital assets, according to its first formal policy push that leans heavily into the cryptocurrency sector. The rule scheduled for proposal by the SEC on Wednesday would expand the agency's existing regulations that say an, in, an investment advisor needs to keep customers' money and securities with a qualified custodian. The new version, if approved, would grow that safeguarding requirement to any asset that investment advisors are entrusted with, including cryptocurrency. Right now, crypto trading and lending platforms routinely offer custody for crypto customers, but they're not qualified custodians under this particular rule, of course. An appropriate custodian under SEC's regulations would generally mean a chartered bank or trust company, a broker-dealer registered with the SEC, or a futures commission merchant registered with the uh, Commodity Futures Trading Commission, or CFTC. While officials said that the rule wasn't specific to crypto, the industry featured heavily in formal remarks previewing it. Quote, make no mistake, based on how crypto platforms generally operate, investment advisors cannot rely on them as qualified custodians, SEC Chair Gary Gensler said in a statement. Quote, though some crypto trading and lending platforms may claim to custody investors' crypto, that doesn't mean they are qualified custodians, end quote. Apart from demanding the, that investment advisors trust only regulated financial institutions with their customers' money, mostly leaving crypto businesses on the outside, the SEC proposal also says those qualified custodians would be subject to independent audits, regular disclosures, and would need to segregate customer assets into accounts under the customer's identity. We want to know whose money this is. That's honestly not surprising. I'm I'm, I'm not aghast at it because this shit's been going on for years, right? So I'm used to it, right? So all of a sudden, I'm just thinking, well, I'm going to gloss over it and not say it's, you know, not an attack on your, you know, individual prosperity and your future and but it is, and it always has been, and it's going to get worse. Gensler's agency is exercising a power granted under the 2010 Dodd-Frank Act, an overhaul of the regulatory landscape ushered in after the last widespread financial collapse. SEC officials said the agency has been working on this proposal for a long time, not in response to any of crypto's recent spectacles, though the SEC has reportedly been scrutinizing crypto custodial issues recently. Quote, rather than properly segregating investors' crypto, these platforms have commingled those assets with their own crypto and other investors' crypto, Gensler said. When these platforms go bankrupt, something we've seen time and again recently, investors' assets often have become property of the failed company, leaving investors in line at bankruptcy court, end quote. When asked whether the regulator had gathered any data to illustrate the scale of digital assets tied to registered investment advisor clients, officials at the agency said that they hadn't. They could only confirm that advisors do represent some segment of the assets now held at crypto firms. So the actual effect of the proposal isn't at all clear. If it's eventually approved as an official rule, it may not significantly change the industry's status with the United States Securities Regulator, which already considers the sector's trading platforms to be generally out of compliance anyway. In some ways, Gensler's own crypto rhetoric makes this proposal even less dramatic. The SEC chairman already says that most tokens are securities that should be registered. 
Under the existing rules for investment advisors, securities already need to be in the hands of qualified custodians. So in Gensler's view, the current standards already affect the vast majority of digital assets. If he's right, this revision effort just swoops in and makes sure there's no crypto assets left out. The latest proposed rule leaves some questions about the role of companies like Anchorage Digital, which is a crypto-oriented trust regulated by the Office of the Comptroller of the Currency, currency or state chartered institutions such as those in Wyoming. SEC officials said as long as company as long as a company can meet a list of requirements, they can seek to act as a qualified custodians. Proposed rules don't always make it to the finish line, however. The agency is scheduling a 60-day comment period during which the crypto industry <clears throat> is certain to make itself heard. The SEC will have to review and consider the outside input, which is typically a months-long process. The SEC has sought public input on custody issues before, such as a request for comment in 2020, after Wyoming said a state-regulated entity may be a qualified custodian. No formal policies were proposed at the end of that comment period. Well, you know, it doesn't matter. These guys are all getting their panties in a twist, you know, because people like Sam Bankman fried, and I should have connected this one to the other SBF story, but it appears that FTX transferred $7.7 billion from Bahamian estate to the United States units ahead of bankruptcy filing that, well, according to the court, the court said that it was told that. This is Sandali Handagama from Coindesk.com. FTX sent $7.7 billion in assets from the cryptocurrencies Bahamian, I get from the Bahamas, the, the estate in the Bahamas, to its U.S. counterparts in the lead up to its bankruptcy filing last year. A Delaware bankruptcy court was told during Wednesday. I guess a Wednesday meeting. They screwed that sentence up. Court-appointed joint provisional liquidators in the Bahamas said that $5.6 billion was transferred from Bahamas Unit FTX Digital's custodial accounts to United States entity FTX Trading, while another $2.1 billion was transferred to FTX's U.S. trading arm, Alameda Research. Oh, my. Quote, and then, and then we have other tangible assets of about $3 million, mostly relating to office furniture, equipment, and the fleet of cars that the employees had in the Bahamas, Christopher Shore, a lawyer for the liquidator, said during the hearing. <clears throat> Excuse me, pardon me. FTX's new management reached a cooperation agreement in early January with court-appointed liquidators in the Bahamas to iron out disagreements and address the assets in dispute. Quote, the Cooperation agreement is the starting point, but the issues as to whether assets belong in the Bahamian estate or in the U.S. estate are open issues. And so the statements that Mr. Shore has made in that regard are statements that the United States senators reserved all their rights on and frankly disagree with many, a representative for FTX said. At the same hearing, presiding judge John Dorsey denied a motion to appoint an independent examiner to look into FTX's financials, something that representatives for FTX previously said could cost the estate around $100 million. So yeah, this is this. Welcome to the other side of the storm. Ladies and gentlemen, I've been saying it for a while now. This feels different. Why? Well, when the hurricane first hits land and you're standing in it, the wind comes from one direction. 
and then you get the eye of the storm and then you hit the other storm wall, uh, hurricane eye wall. And now you're in the shit and, but the wind is going in the opposite direction, right? So don't be fooled. It, this is the same storm. It's just blowing in a different direction. However, what do we got here? Regulatory crackdown feels like a crypto carpet bombing, according to Blockchain Association CEO, uh, Decrypt.co, and written by Liam J. Kelly and Will McCurdy. In a recent interview on CNBC Squawk Box, Blockchain Association CEO Kristen Smith said the recent regulatory crackdowns in the industry felt like a crypto carpet bombing. What did you expect? The Blockchain Association is a crypto lobbying group made up of nearly 100 members. It is funded by many for-profit crypto companies, including Kraken, Digital Currency Group, and, of all things, the File Filecoin Foundation, whatever. <laughs> Last week, the SEC hit crypto exchange Kraken with a $30 million fine for failing to properly register its staking service with the commission. On Monday, reports emerged that the SEC was also preparing to sue Paxos, the stablecoin provider behind the dollar pegged Binance USD for violating investor protection laws. It was later confirmed that the New York Department of Financial Services has also ordered Paxos to halt issuance outright of the stablecoin. Quote, if you look at these individually, what we have going on is we have different regulatory agencies that are coming, they're coming to take action often enforcement actions, or in the case of Kraken, a settlement, and trying to sort of, you know, rein in the industry, said Kristen Smith. She added that the regulatory scrutiny has tightened in the wake of last year's FTX collapse, saying that regulators were largely caught flat-footed in anticipating what turned out to be one of the largest frauds since Bernie Madoff. Smith pitched Europe's regulatory approach instead, which she said provides, quote, comprehensive legislation that assigns regulators the appropriate responsibilities to address the risks that are inherent in these networks, end quote. <clears throat> Excuse me. The EU's markets uh, in crypto assets or MICA regulation is expected to come into play in early of 2023 and looks to clarify various regulations surrounding cryptocurrencies across the block. The CEO also hit out at statements made by Elizabeth Warren, who yesterday criticized the crypto industry's failure to adequately apply money laundering rules in a hearing. Quote, these laws do apply to intermediaries like Coinbase, argued Smith. Quote, I think what Elizabeth Warren is referring to is having know your customer programs for self-hosted wallets. And the reality is that this is impossible. The fa <laughs> she compared it to sharing how much cash you have in your wallet with the government, saying there is a need for peer-to-peer -peer transactions to happen in a private way. Still, the Blockstain Association, Blockstain, oh, I should just start using that. The Blockstain Association CEO did acknowledge that anytime you go from crypto to cash or cash to crypto, well, that should be regulated. Yeah, see, you're going to give in, you're going to give an inch, you're going to give a mile, you're going to give 10 miles, you're going to give, you know, the distance from the earth to the sun. It's all, you know, that's what I'm saying. If you have anything to do with crypto and like no, Bitcoin is different, sorry, it is. But if you have anything to do with crypto, you need to get the fuck out now because it is all burning down. And we've been, we've been saying it for years. This time was going to come. The time is now. You're, you're in the middle of what, we were, what I was talking about four years ago. 
it's shit was going to happen. I just didn't know exactly when. But I can see it now that it's here. This is what I was talking about. This is what all the other guys were talking about. This is the shit I was warned about before I started podcasting about Bitcoin by the OGs in Bitcoin when I got in in the late summer of 2015. I didn't start this show until the latter, uh, what, Q4 of 2018. And I was being told this. I just passed on the message, brothers. Get out, get out, get out. Now, final word, over 100,000 ordinals minted on Bitcoin, bringing cheers and network congestion. Let's see what the State of the Union of Ordinals and Inscriptions are right now by Jason Nelson, Decrypt.co. The number of ordinal inscriptions passed 100,000 late Tuesday, proving that the project to bring digital assets native to the Bitcoin blockchain continues to intrigue the crypto space since its launch last month. The 100K milestone was closely watched and came less than a day after ordinals crossed the 75,000 inscription mark, according to a Dune report, with transaction fees for the digital collectibles topping $114,590 earlier today. As ordinals surged towards the six-figure mark, the memory usage per block exceeded the standard 300 megabyte capacity for 86 megabytes or uh, sorry by 86 megabytes so apparently we were at almost the 400 megabytes in various mempools and if your if your mempool was set at 300 anything that came after the in any transactions that were waiting to be valid helped validated by your node were kicked out of its mempool uh after 300 megabytes that's the way that that shit works um this caused the network to purge any transactions less than 1.74 Satoshis per V-byte or Satoshi per byte, according to data from Bitcoin Explorer mempool. Even as the Bitcoin network had to adapt to the massive increase in traffic, many Bitcoin faithful continue to see the ordinal project project as good for the number one blockchain by market capitalization, according to CoinGecko. Quote, what the team came up with with ordinals is genius. Alex Miller, CEO of Hero, a developer of Layer 2 smart contract platform Stacks, told Decrypt in an interview, quote, it's super core to the Bitcoin ethos in that they basically took several different things and pieced them together in a way the original creators did not foresee or expect, end quote. Unlike Ethereum or Solana NFTs that use smart contracts, Ordinals are inscribed directly onto individual Satoshis. The lowest denomination of a Bitcoin named after the pseudonymous creator of Bitcoin, Satoshi Nakamoto. Because ordinals lack smart contract support and programmability, many in the Stacks community see its rise as an overall benefit to Bitcoin sidechain developers. Quote, there's a lot of limit to how much data you can put in an ordinal store. And that's really where we see Stacks is going to come in and really expand, Miller said, adding that Ordinals has proven that there's a massive demand to be able to use NFTs on Bitcoin. 
Ordinals is also still in its very early stages and lacks several key features for long-term growth. God, does it have to grow? These include a seamless way to inscribe ordinals without the need to sync the entire blockchain, marketplaces to buy and sell digital artifacts, and wallets that allow collectors to see their ordinals, something Hero and other developers are working furiously to launch. Quote, the Stacks community has been saying for so long that things should be getting built on Bitcoin, Miller continued. Because it's the most trusted thing that's been around the longest. It's not going anywhere, end quote. Despite the excitement around ordinals, Miller did acknowledge that the Bitcoin blockchain was not meant to be used this way, noting the lack of programmability of the blockchain as opposed to Ethereum, which has programmability built in. Ethereum NFTs are still early in their life cycles as well, Miller notes and says he does not see ordinals as a challenge to shitcoin number one's dominance in the NFT space. However, he does say that on-chain data storage will make the Bitcoin blockchain a popular place to inscribe important information like deeds, real estate transactions, or government documents. Quote, I don't think that ordinals are going to be a one-for-one replacement for shitcoin number one's NFTs, Miller said, but I also don't think the fact that they're different is going to be an imposition for it. I think it's going to be an asset. All right, we've been talking about deeds on the blockchain. Real estate on the blockchain. I guess that, yeah, I guess you can inscribe a, a deed. Is that inscription going to be, you know, viewed as legal in a court of law under, you know, arbitration dispute? Is it? I'm <laughs> Just because I can put a deed on the blockchain doesn't mean that it's going to be accepted by somebody else as being, you know, the deed. That we got, I mean, that kind of shit, there's a long row to hoe on all of that shit. Again, I'm not thrilled about ordinals. You know, questions are, are abounding. Is there any way to stop it? Well, the answer is no, there's, there's not. There's, there's not. Short of a uh, hard fork. And even then, it's not going to stop it. Why? Well, because this chain continues on. Would I go on the other chain? Probably not. Probably not. Actually, I'm pretty sure that I wouldn't. I would say that I'm 99% sure that I would end up on this chain if there was a hard fork. And that because I've seen what happens to hard forks. Uh, unless the entire core develop, you know, the entirety of the core development team that we have right now were to signal that they're going to move, that they're going to fork it. Well, then what I won't do, I won't throw away the coins that I receive as airdrop on that other chain. I've done it every single time we've got it because there's never been a time that I trusted anybody to do it. Like Roger Ver's fork, sold them. Uh, BSV didn't get them because by the time that happened, I had already sold my Bcash. This one, this one I'd keep. I guarantee I, I would. Because this one is the first time that I see, you know, a real, I mean, it's clear that there's a use case here. I don't think it should be here. I really don't because I, I just, I, I don't see, I honestly just don't see the value, ladies and gentlemen, but p other people do. And I can't dismiss that. Now, NFTs on Ethereum is one thing. I got stupid shit on stupid shit in that particular, in that particular instance. Here, 
I've got mostly stupid shit on something that isn't stupid at all. It's probably the smartest thing that human uh, species has ever done for its future is Bitcoin. Putting stupid shit on it, well, that was always going to happen. It's al- it already happened before any of this shit. We had rare Pepe's on Bitcoin, for God's sakes. Those are way back in 2012, 2011, maybe. They're, they've been here for the entire time. Nobody's been bitching about it. I, so I guess what I'm getting at is, it, and a lot of people really disagree with me, but I don't see how being angry is going to do anybody any good whatsoever. All it's going to do is cause a fork of Bitcoin and people will, make, will take their sides. I'm not going to take anybody's side if this one forks. Unless it's somebody like Roger Ver or somebody who acts that way, that has that slimy salesman-y kind of bullshit, uh, comes along and says, we're going to fork it because we're doing you the favor of getting inscriptions off of Bitcoin. No, it would have to be like Peter Wola along with, I don't know, Andrew Polstra and like five other of the hardcore, like Jameson Lopp would have to be a part of that group. It'd have to be that. It'd have to be more than one person and more than one person that is credibly proven to be here for at least a decade as a developer or in some capacity that they've been 100% on their message for, for at least a decade that has something to do with Bitcoin and why Bitcoin is important, then and only then would I consider not selling the airdropped Bitcoin clone that I would get in such a fork. But if it were to happen, I don't, I really don't want to think about it. Um, am I mad at Casey Rod Armour? No. If it hadn't have been him, it had just been somebody else that would have figured it out. If it hadn't have been Satoshi Nakamoto, it would have been somebody else that figured it out. You know, unless Satoshi Nakamoto was an alien, in which case that kind of argument doesn't go anywhere. But in this case, for Casey Rodarmer, the, the guy that figured out ordinals, and, and then by proxy uh, inscriptions and all that kind of shit, and released it into the wild. No, I'm not. Could have been worse. Could have, could have been a worse person to do it. I don't think I don't think Casey is I don't think he's trying to attack Bitcoin. I think what he did is he laid bare to the world what could be done with Bitcoin and he did it. He didn't ask anybody's permission. And he doesn't seem to be the kind of person that gives a shit that a lot of you are really angry at him. But why would you be angry at him? Think about it this way. Would you be angry at 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 Casey Rod Armor if somebody else had done it? No, you wouldn't even know Casey Rod Armor's name. You would just be mad at whoever did it. So you're not really mad at the person, are you? You're mad at the thing. And the thing here is ordinals. And they're not going away. I'm just, I'm just, I'm trying to be as kind as I possibly can to you. If you just are seething at me and gripping your steering wheel and you're, you know, white knuckling it because I'm pissing you straight off because I'm telling you the truth. And more often than not, Nobody wants to hear the truth, and that's going to do it for the Morning Roundup.
You know, I just spent $80 on a belt that doesn't fit. My wife said it's a huge waste. Yes, sir. Um, if you want to support the show, Podcasting 2.0 is the way to go. Newpodcastapps.com, I think, is a way to get there. Let's try that out. New, new podcast apps. And I'm just going to throw that into a search engine. And what I get is podcastingindex.org. Uh, let me try that one again. Uh, pod news, new podcast apps dot new podcast app dot com. New podcast app, all one word dot com app, not apps, plural, you know, apps would be plural. Uh, but this is where you can find all of the podcast apps, uh, for you know, like podcast shows, podcast episodes, but specifically you're looking for podcasting apps. And that's at the very top of the page when you go, go, go to it. And then it gives you instructions on how to get one. What can you do with it? Well, you can give me boostograms. That's what, that's what you can do with it. You can also stream me Satoshis. You can, uh, so, well, you can, and you can do, see, okay. You can stream me Satoshis while you're listening to the show. And if I had the software enabled, well, actually, if I had the software downloaded and, you know, could use it, there's a couple of software packages that I'd be able to see exactly where in the show you boosted. And you could say good, you know, like good point. Um, hold on for a second. Uh, <clears throat> you could say, you know, I, I say something and you could say good point. And that would give me feedback as to whether or not what, you know, if I'm bringing, uh, it'd be a way for me to gauge whether I'm bringing you value, right? So you can listen to me and give me, stream me two sats per minute. You can stream me nine sats per minute. Some have, you know, there, I think Fountain has like a minimum of 10 sats per minute and they take like, I don't know, 1% for their own, uh, or, or 10% for their own goods or whatever, so that they can continue running Fountain. That's how they make their money. Right. But when I get these sats, whether through Boostergrams or whether through uh, Ustreaming, they don't go to a, th a third party. I don't hold them on Wallet of Satoshi. No, 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 no. They go to my actual Bitcoin node or, well, my Lightning Network node, but you have to have a Bitcoin node to be able to run one in the first damn place. So, you know, there's that. But I get them. I custody them. No, nobody stood in your way. The only people that stood in your way for giving uh, me streaming Satoshis or, or boosting me on a show is the network hops that had to be done through the network, the Lightning Network, to be able to get your Satoshis through the network to me. But once they came to me, they came to me and not a third party. So what were yesterday's boostograms? I only got two. That makes me sad. Bubba with the big 10,000 boost says, real life, one and a half days for the normal weekly buy to clear the mempool. Fuck you, ordinals and inscriptions. Sometimes violence is the answer. If we broke their fingers, they couldn't use their keyboard. See, Bubba doesn't like this shit at all. And I don't blame him. I like literally, I, you can like ordinals and I don't blame you. You can hate ordinals. I don't blame you. My, the only truth here is that we can't do anything about it, about it, about it. If we did, and it didn't involve a hard fork, we'd probably just fucking break, you know, break Bitcoin. But the thing about it is, is that there's only, you can only fork this. 
You can only for, I suppose you could soft fork it back. I think, I don't know. Not a Bitcoin developer over here, Bubba. But if we were to do that, there's a real danger of screwing shit up. And you will say, but we've already screwed shit up. Nobody knew it was going to happen. Nobody saw it. Even the developers, they didn't see this shit coming. It took somebody else to look at it with a different pair of eyes and say, oh, I, I see what I can do. I see what you did. And here's what I can do with it. If you think this is the last time it's going to happen, you're wrong. Something else, somebody's going to figure out something else that we didn't expect. Nature is like that. People keep saying, this has nothing to do with nature because it's a computer. That's, that is the most short-sighted bullshit statement I've ever heard. Of course it has something to do with fucking nature. Why? Because we all exist inside of the Venn diagram circle that is nature. There's not another there's not another circle in the Venn's diagram that says computer science. That doesn't exist outside of nature. We're all in this together, ladies and gentlemen. Computers, silicon, technology, jet engines, you know, motorboat propellers, internal combustion engines, all of that shit. That technology, whether low or high, exists within the realm of mother nature and if you don't follow or at least are aware of how mother nature works even in the most basic ways you are doomed to be sad forever mother nature is a bitch and she does things to surprise you all the time this is no different bubba i love you but there's absolutely nothing we can do about this even choosing violence uh nick underscore dose 369 sat says cheers and that, my friends, is it for today's show. I will see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin And, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.